pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we're just asking that you would bless us, encourage us in your word. Lord, that we would be able to take to heart the things that you have laid on my heart to deliver in the message this morning. That we would have something that we could see you do in our lives in this coming week. We ask that our worship here this morning would result in a different living during this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll tell you, we don't have much sunshine today, but uh, we're going to get some tomorrow. And uh, uh, somebody was talking about how cold it is. I think before the end of the week, we're supposed to hit 60. And so uh, uh, spring, uh, old Mr. Groundhog might not have been too far off, huh? Uh, so we'll see what happens, but we'll probably get another six foot of snow before. No, uh, let's let's pray we don't do that. But uh, always an opportunity to uh, see some winter weather right up to the first week in May. And so enjoy what is out there, because if you don't, you're just going to be a grouch like everybody else. Amen. And so uh, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to First uh, Samuel chapter 17. There, there are uh, uh, many passages in the Bible to preach on, and, and uh, one of my favorites is 1 Samuel chapter 17. I just love the story of David and Goliath. How many of you like that story out of the Bible? And, and uh, uh, even to this day, I mean, I looked up, uh, just uh, did a little thing, and uh, uh, it tells us that even to this day, this, the, the phrase David versus Goliath is always talking about a underdog or uh, a little person taking on a big person. Uh, oftentimes when you say taking on City Hall, you're talking about David slew Goliath and all of this. But what I want us to understand is, let me, as you're there in 1 Samuel 17, let me just read a couple of verses. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14 says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. This is Samuel talking to Saul. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. In Acts chapter 13, as Paul was preaching, and when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he, God, gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. This morning I'd like to preach on a heart... Like God's. If I were to just ask the question, how many of you would like to have a heart like God's? I think every hand would go up. I mean, it would be uh, quite a heart full of trouble and, prob- and problems and literally rebellion against God who would say, I, I don't want to be a heart- have a heart like God. And yet, so often in our daily living, Do we not echo that sentiment? Well, you know, if I if I really surrender to the Lord, He might make me get baptized. No, 
There's no might about it. If you're going to surrender to the Lord, you've got to get saved first. But if you're going to surrender to the Lord, you've got to get baptized. If you're going to get baptized, you join the church. If you're going to join the church, you need to serve God. And uh, so as we look at this, and our theme again is uh, becoming like that little child... Uh, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, following God as a dear child. And you, you need to understand, I mean, I, I do not normally look at, uh, well, I should rephrase that. I do normally look at a 12 or 13 year old as a child because they are. Uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I didn't think I was a child. Uh, how many of you are old enough to understand that 13 years old still qualifies you to be a child. That, that tells you you're getting like your parents. Oh, no. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is, in 1 Samuel 13, um, 16, and we'll spend a little bit of time there. Just turn the page, if you would, in, in 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him? From reigning over Israel, fill thine horn with oil and go, I, I, excuse me, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So here we have Samuel who has been mourning. Now, the verse I read where it says God has now rejected Saul as kings, those were Samuel's words to David in the third year, after he had reigned two years. Now, how long was Saul going to reign? Forty years. So, as Samuel uttered those words, that God is going to find him a king, David hadn't even been born yet. Thirty-eight years, Saul would continue to be king. It would be thirty-eight years before Saul would fall on the battlefield against the Philistines for utter rebellion against God and His Word. We do not know how long this was, but we figure David was about twelve years old. Here, twelve, thirteen years old. And Samuel goes and finds David, and anoints him to be the king. And I love the picture here. He takes David's older brothers and puts them in the circle, facing outward. And in the circle is the elder Samuel and David. And Samuel reaches into that long robe of the priest and pours out a horn of oil. And with this, uh, it was an animal horn, it had been filled with oil, it had been sealed. And he breaks that brittle, plastic-like horn material and the oil begins leaking out. And he does that over David's head and pours that oil on his head. And his brothers really don't know what's going on. By the time we get to... Acts chapter, I mean Acts, sorry, uh, chapter 17, Samuel may still be alive, but he's on his way out. David is the only one that really knows that he's to be the next king. And you know what? David doesn't say a word. 
Not to his father, not to his brothers, not to anyone. Don't you imagine that as Samuel anointed him, he said, God has chosen you to be the next king of Israel. Don't you dare tell a soul. Because David's life would have been in grave danger. It was, would be in danger before he became the king as Saul just out of simple jealousy because of what would happen with the battle of uh, in Goliath had put David on his, I got to get rid of this guy. And later he would tell Jonathan, you won't be king unless we kill David. And Jonathan looks at his father and says, David's going to be the king and I'm going to be right next to him as his servant. And all Saul just couldn't handle that because he had turned his back on the Lord. And by the way, we're not here to preach about Saul this morning. But if you want to understand God's grace in eternal salvation, read the story of Saul. The day before Saul died, Samuel actually comes back and appears to him and says, tomorrow you and your sons are going to be with me. The primary understanding is they were all going to be dead. They were going to be in eternity where Samuel was. But Samuel was on the right side of eternity. Could I remind you about that? God did not take away Saul's salvation. But let me tell you, Saul lost everything else. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose everything else. And what made David so special is, let's come down to verse 18 Then answer, of chapter 16. Then answered one of the servants, servants of Saul, and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing. And a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now, what a description of David. At this time, he's probably about 17 years old, 16, 17 years old. How many of you remember when you were 16 years old? And Philip's going, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get there soon. Just a few weeks. Or is it months? No, no, no. I know when his birthday is. Just got to tease him a little bit. But every once in a while, I've got a box of things that I've kept over the years. And I have some shirts left over from the boys' brigade when I served in there with my dad leading and and uh, I don't try to put those shirts on. Uh, they they don't fit anymore. Uh, my mom had got me a nice uh, sports coat when I was in Bible college, 19 years old. Uh, I gave that to Andrew a little while ago. Uh, it 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 hadn't fit for many many years. I mean, you you grow after there's some growing there, and it's not all just out. I mean. Uh, some of it is maturing, filling out, and all of that. I mean, here we have a teenager in every sense of the word. But I want you to understand something. David's faith 
to deal with Goliath didn't come just on the day of battle. Here in chapter 16, a year, possibly two, before the battle with Goliath, Saul is now being impressed with an evil spirit because he has rejected the direction of God's spirit. And he says, find me someone that can play and soothe my soul. Music is a wonderful thing. But you better be careful. Your music determines a lot. That's, that's why we do not want worldly music. I don't want to go to the garbage can of the world and try to offer that to God. Amen? We want music that belongs to God. Someone said, well, that music in their hymn book is just so dead. No. You're the one that's dead. You're the one that needs to be fixed, not the hymn book. The reason you don't like what's in the hymn book is because you've been eating out of the garbage can. And when you get, a, you get a taste for those things, you get yourself trained on that stuff, you don't like the good stuff. How many of you know what it is to drink real spring water out of a real spring with a little salamander swimming around in the bottom and all that good stuff? Oh, I have memories of that from my childhood that I, uh, until I get Alzheimer's and lose my mind, I'll never give up. Uh, it could be 100 degrees in the middle of August. And you, you had to be careful because it wasn't a deep spring. If you, if you, deep too, if, if you uh, dunked your cup in too deep, you'd bring up some of the mud in the bottom and the salamander too. That, that, that's not appealing. Uh, but if you were careful... That water was 40 degrees. Oh, it was icy cold in the middle of summer. And take a sip. Oh, just the best. But I remember first time uh, drinking that water. It was like, oh, something's wrong with this water. It doesn't have any flavor to it at all. And my dad said, no, that's real water. And so you have to allow God to change your taste and change who you are. That's what was happening to David while he kept the sheep. You see, before chapter 16, he was already a cunning player. If you've learned to play a musical instrument at all, you know one thing. It takes a lot of work. It it takes effort. And he was a player on the harp. And David learned to uh, play music and learned to commune with God while he was taking care of the sheep that were in the field. It says that he was a mighty, valiant man and a man of war. He was prudent in matters. Now, do you know what that means to be prudent? It means you're not a politician. Amen? Prudent means you know what to do. Boy, we live in a world full of people who think they know what to do, and the moment they do it, we know that they were wrong. David was learning. How do you become prudent? You've got to think about things, do you not? 
I'll tell you the best way to get prudence is meditate on the Word of God. Now, David at this time only had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Ruth was telling the story of his great-grandmother. I mean, there, there, this was uh, close here. It was not a, a great deal of time. And David had to learn and talk with the, And it said, the Lord is with him because it was Samuel that anointed him. And he had kept that anointing private between him and God. By the way... David had a job. It was keeping the sheep. And later on, he's going to relate to King Saul that a bear came out and literally grabbed a sheep up in its mouth and went at, or a lion. And David ran after the lion and caught that lion by the beard and smote the lion and he killed the bear. He had two weapons. He had a staff and he had a sling. And he knew how to use them both. He was good. And the only way you learn these things, uh, this is the thing about all these stupid karate movies. You have this young nobody who doesn't know anything and he's going to go get vengeance against the great warlord. And in two weeks, he learns all the movements of all the ages. Don't try that at home. Only in the movies, all right? Uh, if you're going to learn that stuff, you're going to spend a whole lifetime learning those things. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be a two-hit affair. You get hit once and you lay on the floor and that's the end of it. Uh, you'll know just enough to hurt yourself. Uh, that was not David. He was taking care of those sheep. And when everything was quiet, he was off there with that slingshot trying to knock the petal, the heads off flowers with a rock. And I'll tell you what, you don't learn to do that by mistake. You've got to spend a lot of time and a lot of effort. And David was learning this. He was learning to play his harp. He was learning to use that staff. Not only to reach out and keep a sheep in the way, but to kill snakes. A staff is a formidable weapon they say if you have the choice between a sword or a staff, take the staff every time, if you know how to use it. But those were David's weapons. He had all of those things, and yet David was anointed to be king. And when Saul's messenger came to his father and knocked on the door and said, Hey, we would like your youngest son, uh, David, to come and to play music for the king and to just be there to encourage the king. The armor bearer was kind of an honorary title. And not only did Jesse say yes, David said yes. David wasn't looking at this as a stepping stone for him to become the king. He was just looking for a place to use what God had given him. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. That didn't happen to him when he stepped onto the battlefield with Goliath. That happened to him as he grew up in those several years from the time he was anointed to the time he fought the battle with, with Goliath. And I, I want to challenge you. 
It takes time to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. What you did before you were saved doesn't count. And if you weren't serving in a good church, it doesn't count. If you're going to serve God, you've got to do it God's way. You've got to serve Him. You've got to expend that time and that effort to be with God, to get to know God, to, to learn to like the things that God has. You know, I uh, was just driving around and listening to the radio and this thing came on and says, Why Millennials Hate Dating? And I said, Wow, I'm going to listen to this. This ought to be interesting. And, and so they had the talk show guy on there talking with this young girl and said, now, you millennials in dating, uh, said, this, this just doesn't work for you. And she, and she said, yeah, no, no. Why would I want to commit to a whole evening with somebody that I don't know whether I'm going to like or not? Uh, maybe a cup of coffee, 10 minutes. Uh, anybody can talk to somebody for 10 minutes and then you can leave unless you're really not a nice person. Uh, that's what she said. And we wonder why we don't have relationships today. You know what a real relationship is? It's not ten minutes. It's not dinner. It's a lifetime. And you know what's going to happen to you if you commit your life to another human being for a lifetime? You're going to get hurt. And you're going to hurt them. But the commitment makes forgiveness possible and you work forward in a lifetime. You see, David had invested his life in getting to know God, in learning to like the things that God liked. Isn't that a heart? That's like God's. Having the feelings for the same things. And as David worked through this, we have verse 1 of chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azkah. And Ephesdemon and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. So you have the picture here, a mountain and Israelites here and the Philistines on a mountain here and this great flat area in between, a perfect battlefield, a place where uh, business could be done, where valiance could be shown and the coward would certainly perish before he was able to retreat. And David's three eldest brothers were called to service. And David said, if you're going to battle, you're leaving the palace, the king. May I have permission to go back to my home and fill the duties that my older brothers are leaving? And David went back home. Well, as we know the story, this went on 40 days as 
Goliath of Gath would come out and present himself. Israel get ready to engage in the battle. Everything was, it was, it was just a game at this point. And we don't have time to go into all of that. But uh, Goliath would come out and present himself. He did on the first day. And nobody in Israel moved a tongue against Goliath. And so they go back to their tents. And they say, well, tomorrow we'll fight him. And they get all ready the next morning. And they come out and there's Goliath. And may I, may I just challenge you. You will never get anywhere by accepting the terms of battle drawn up by the enemy. Who gets to set the terms of engagement? Who determines how you're going to fight the battle? Don't let the devil tell you how you're going to fight the battle. Because it will always turn out to your detriment. If you would just let God fight the battle, you know what should have happened? Is Goliath comes out there, I challenge you! And every soldier in the army of Israelites said, we're not taking your challenge, you're going to have to take us all on! And everybody ran. You know what Goliath would have done? He'd have turned and ran. And, and he wouldn't have stood up against a thousand Israelites. You know, it's, it's really foolish when we try to meet the world on their terms, not going to do it. You see, that's the difference that David had when he showed up to the battlefield. Why did David show up to the battlefield? Well, uh, it was the fact that the family supported the soldiers. David, uh, David was called in by his father and said, you know, I don't know what's going on on the battlefield. We don't have much, we don't hear anything. No great engagement has been fought here. Uh, but your brothers are out of food, so I want you to take them, uh, uh, this flour, uh, parched corn actually, so that you can, uh, they can eat. And I want you to take a gift to their captain of ten cheeses. And, and of course, you know what that's all about, is you take care of the boss. He's going to take care of your kids, right? And so uh, Jesse was not a foolish man. He wasn't trying to bribe or anything like that. But he just wanted his sons to be noticed in the, in the lineup. And so he did that. And uh, David went down, found himself on the battlefield at the direction of his father. David didn't go seeking the battle. Later on, his eldest brother would accuse him of that. And what was David's answer? Is there not a cause? Oh, just one of those powerful statements. And can I ask you a question today as we start trying to get some application here? Is there not a cause to live for Christ today? Is there not a reason we should live godly in this present evil world? Hello? Amen? Uh, you see, you're not going to do it because it costs something unless you allow God to do the work in your heart first. You see, those men had gotten so used to hearing the cursing of the world. 
so used to being defeated. Could you imagine for 40 days, every morning, getting up, going to the battle, and there's Goliath, turning around, coming back to your tents, and waiting till the next morning, getting up, getting ready for battle. And You talk about practicing failure. That's where Saul was leading the children of Israel, because his heart was not touched. But when David heard the words of Goliath, Something happened in his heart. So you're not offending man. Who who do you think you are? You're blaspheming the God of Israel, the only true God. This was the heart that was like God's. You know, in the book of Revelation, the church of Philadelphia, it says, For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. You know, sometimes I wonder how well we've done on that. We need, we need to pray about that. We need to pray about keeping His Word, not denying the name of Jesus Christ. What had Saul done for the last 30 days, 40 days on the battlefield? He said, Goliath, you're bigger than my God. Your blasphemy stands. Nobody's going to do anything about it. Saul was the one that was head and shoulders above everyone. But, of course, when Saul stood next to Goliath, if that didn't didn't ever happen, but if it would have, Saul, at probably somewhere around six foot tall, would have been right about here. Just like a little boy standing up against a man. You see, Saul's heart was not more concerned with the holiness of God than it was with living life. You know, this this world, what do they say? Your money or your life. And what's the joke? I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Oh, come on. But how many people would sell their souls just so they could live? How many people do terrible, terrible things with their lives just so they can get another day of life? Let me tell you, that kind of life is not life. It's death. You can't really live until you find something that is bigger than life. It's a reason to live for. And David said, I'm only going to go through this life one time. And I am going to stand before God, and I am not going to stand before God, having allowed the world to curse God and not doing something about it. The challenge was given. Now, don't you go out and say, preacher said, yeah, you, you took the name of the Lord in vain, I'm going to knock your side. That's not what we're talking about here. Goliath was giving the challenge. You come fight me in battle. We're going to do mortal combat and we're going to prove whose God is real. And not one person in the armies of Israel would take the challenge. But when David heard it, what was his first response? He started going in the trenches, soldier to soldier. Didn't you hear what what Goliath said? He, He 
blaspheme the God of Israel. Don't you care about God? God can use anybody to fight this guy. This guy doesn't count. He's not, he's not against you. He's against God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go. But you see, David had a heart like God's, didn't he? A heart that had been touched. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to let the challenge of the world go. And so David goes to the king and says, listen, I'll fight the giant. If nobody else will go, I'll go. And the king is, you're a little boy. I'm, I'm telling you, they must have had a really close relationship for David to show up on the battlefield and Saul not even to know who he was. Being a little sarcastic there. David had not made a great impression on the house of Saul. I I want you to understand that at this point. David had been there to play his harp and, and to make Saul feel better, but Saul had taken no account. He didn't even recognize David when the whole thing was over. He asked Abner who this young stripling is. Who is this kid? And Abner has to go and find out who he is and come back and tell Saul. That's after the battle. David was not into self-promotion. Does that sound like the heart of God? Hello? It most certainly is, is it not? Is Then, I, I love this, Saul tries to help David. I can't tell you how many people have lost their service for Christ trying to let someone help them or equip them for service for Christ that wasn't doing it themselves. Why would you take advice off of someone who wouldn't go out and engage in the battle themselves? And by the way, you've got to realize that here's Saul and here's David. I mean, if you want to do stair steps, you got Goliath, Saul, David. I mean, uh, you're, you're just getting ridiculous here. And, and he tries to give David his armor. And of course, uh, David says, listen, I haven't proved this. It doesn't fit. I can't, I can't even walk right. How in the world am I going to battle here? And he put them all off. And he says, I'll just go the way I am. Now, David wasn't thinking that, uh, okay, God, you gave this great strength to Samson, and so you're going to give it to me, right? No. What did he do? The Bible says he took his hand, his staff in his hand, and he went down to the brook and he found five smooth stones. Now, I've heard all kinds of reasons and things about those five smooth stones, but I think that David was thinking along these lines. I might get off a second shot. It's very possible to get off a third, but if that guy ever gets close enough, there's no way I'm getting off any more than five. Absolutely not. And so I'm going to take enough ammunition that's beyond my expectation. And so if I don't get him with the first one, I'm going to get him with the second or third. If I run fast enough, 
maybe I can get five out. But David understood he was not going to walk up to the giant and overpower him in physical combat. David was not living in fantasy land. He was not saying, uh, I'm going to get superpowers by, by watching television shows and then I'll be able to, or I'm going to use my kung fu. They hadn't invented it yet. David said, this guy is going to be more like the bear. If I don't get him from a distance, yeah, it's not going to happen. And so he takes that and, of course, Goliath curses him. And uh, let's just read David's response here in uh, verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into, what's that pronoun there? Our. He didn't say my. He said our hands. Boy, that just goes against the grain of this day. If you don't toot your own horn, nobody else will, right? No. Listen. David said, I'm not here representing David. I'm here representing the God of Israel. I'm here representing the armies of Israel. David did not disdain the cowardice that was shown by his brothers, by his king, and by the rest of the nation of uh, those that served in the armies of Israel. You know, if it had been one of us, we'd have gone... Now look, I'm going out here all by myself on the battlefield and you're not even going to back me up. Isn't that the way we do everything? Look what I'm doing. I'm doing all this and you're not going to at least help. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. If you're ever going to serve God, I don't care where it is, how it is, if you're ever going to serve God, It's just going to be you and God. Say, but I'm married. Yeah. But let me tell you, men, if you're going to serve God, it's going to be you and God. Ladies, if you're going to serve God, it's going to be you and God. And when you get out on the battlefield, then you're going to find out someone's standing with you. And if they're not, well, then we know... The point is, every individual is going to have to be tested individually. Your husband can't have a heart for God for you. Your wife cannot have a heart for God for you. If you're going to have God's heart, you're going to have to get it yourself. 
And I want to challenge you, David didn't get it on the battlefield. He had it long before he got there. See, sometimes we say, well, you know, it's just, uh, this Christian life just boring. All I do is go to church and, and if I really get excited, I'll go out and pass out some tracts and, 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 wait a minute. Was it boring to learn how to play the harp? Have you ever listened to someone learning to play an instrument? Jason has started on the trumpet. My daughter hates it. She's playing, learning the violin. And I'll just come around and go. They used to make the strings out of cat, you know. And uh, the uh, it, it takes a lot of work. I used to drown out my neighbor's television set in his house with my saxophone. And I was in the basement of our house with the windows closed. But uh, the thing is, David was learning. It took him years to learn. What we're trying to do is get an application from a real life story here today. It said David was a man after God's own heart. That's why he was valiant on the battlefield. That's why he won the battle with Goliath. It was God that used David. Now, I am so glad as your pastor today to be able to tell you, you don't have to get your hands bloody to serve God. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus paid the price for our sins. There's no physical battle that you're going to have to fight. But if I were to ask us all to be honest, how many of us have lost a battle this week trying to serve the Lord? Every hand would go up. How are we going to get that heart that God wants us to have? Well, could I challenge you here? That the childlike faith of David got much more accomplished than all of the adults put together. Are we together there? The childlike faith of David got more accomplished than all of the adult faith that was on the battlefield. That included the king. You see, God didn't choose David to give him faith. God chose David because he had faith and God could see that David would grow in faith. Now, if you're here today and you're unsaved, I want you to understand something. God is calling you and asking you to trust Him as your Savior. If you're here today and you are saved, have you had enough faith to stand up and identify, give a public testimony that you are saved? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, number one, you walk down the aisle. And you just simply say, Pastor, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. 
What's next? And my answer is always this. Baptism is next. Let's get together and let's talk about baptism so we can understand what it is and isn't. Baptism isn't part of your salvation. Baptism doesn't give you special grace. It is simply having enough faith to stand up and be counted as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is also the door of entry to the church. I want to challenge you. Study your Bible. If you're going to serve God, you're going to do so through the church. There is no other place of service for the Christian in this age, in this dispensation, than through a Bible-believing Baptist church. You've got to find a church that teaches the Bible. Someone said, well, you only believe Baptists are going to heaven. Uh, May I tell you what I really believe? There's a lot of Baptists that aren't going to heaven. You see, it's not in the name. It's in a faith relationship with God. And we do not have to stand against Goliath. Praise God, we don't have to learn how to use that sling and and jump up on uh, uh, Saul's back and pull out his sword and, and, and uh, get the gory thing done and then... You have, at the end of the story, you have David dragging around that head. Uh, oh, I mean, that, that's terrible stuff. But could we have enough faith to be counted for Jesus? That our friends and our family would know? People we work with would know? That we are the servants of the Most High God. That we want to live for Jesus. You know, that's what the Bible tells us. You say, how do I stem the tide of wickedness in this world? By not laughing at the jokes of the world. By not participating with the world. By not choosing to try to be the best rat in the race, but to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we are. Someone says, well, the good guy finishes last. Uh, David didn't finish last. Uh, It was Goliath that got finished, amen? Not David. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. If there's anything, one thing I want to be known for in my life is to be a servant in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want my life to be invested in the church. That's why I stayed here my entire adult life to this point. Because I believe in the church. And I want to challenge you. Last year we didn't do too well. I think we had 50, 60 hands saying, I'll pray that God would bring, allow me to bring one person to church. Well, it might take a little bit more than that. But I challenge you this, if we could get a heart like 
David had? I can't believe that the Lord doesn't want to see souls saved and added to his church. Would you agree with me on that? And we, we need to get serious. David was serious. It takes effort to learn how to use a staff, how to use a sling, how to play an instrument in such a way that it actually has an influence on those that listen to it. A good influence, I should say. It doesn't take much practice to have a bad influence. Like the guy said, he said, that music just brings a tear to my ear. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. It says that when Saul heard David play, he was refreshed. And that music drove away those evil influences that Saul himself had invited into his life. Listen. The whole sermon is simply this. A heart like God's. And the little child, David... Couldn't be any older at 17 when he fought Goliath. He had more faith than all the rest of the army of Israel combined. How about we take that challenge? Say, if no one else is going to have faith, I'm going to have it. Amen? I'm going to have faith. Not in me, not in what I can do. But, you see, faith always makes you obedient to the Bible. That's how you can check whether your faith is working or not. It's not how many tracts we've handed out. It's not how many people we get to pray. It's how many are serving the Lord. Because of our influence. I'll tell you. I, I, I'm convicted. I, I, I had to have, give myself an altar call before I came into the pulpit here. Because I'm not seeing things I would like God to do. We're engaging the enemy, but we're not getting things done. The problem's not God. It's not his word, it's not his church, it's not the stained glass windows, it's not the hard pews, it's not the hymn books. People tell us those are all barriers to people coming into church. No, those are all barriers for people coming into a social gathering. This is not a social gathering, this is the church of Jesus Christ. It is the living body of Christ. You have to want to become a part You have to choose to leave the world and to live differently. That's what David did. And it gave him a heart like God's heart. When he was called into challenge, either to honor God or to agree with the world, he chose to honor God and God used him to give a great victory. That's the challenge of today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, I I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to apply this to each life that is in here today. Lord, each of us know the challenges that lay before us directly. The things that are going on in our life that aren't going anywhere. 
the things that we call faith that really aren't faith at all. Lord, that we would allow Your Word to search us. And we would take this challenge that David gives by his life and the way that he lived. First of all, are you saved? Lord, we pray for those in this auditorium that are not saved. That they would be willing to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, we pray for those that have trusted you but have not done anything with their salvation that they would be willing to stand up and say, I am saved and I want people to know that I'm saved. Lord, we pray for those that maybe even have gone as far as joining the church, but they're, they're not serving you. Their, their life direction is not your direction. That they would allow you to tune their heart to love the things that are yours. That we would tune our offenses not to be offended by the truth, but to be offended by those who mock the truth or won't keep the truth. Lord, that our service would count. And that when you need someone to stand against the giants of the world, that you would find people right here in this church that you are willing to put into the battle in the front lines because they won't rely upon themselves, but upon you. Lord, we ask that you would give us that childlike faith that David had, so that we could see great things done to the honor and glory of the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God who sent his Son to die on the cross, that we might believe in him, and have everlasting life. Lord, as Paul said, we pray that we would walk worthy of what you, the vocation, the life that you have called us. That we would walk worthy of the name Christian. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation, 508. Let's just sing that first verse together. Look at the words. Let it challenge you. And if you need to come and pray, the altar's open.